Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 89. I hope you are having a fantastic week out there in Drumland. We're having a great week over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Got a special episode for you today. Uh, A new friend of the show and a local guy here in Central Kentucky. I'm going to be joined by my pal Zach Martin live and in person in the studio right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, I'm going to be joined live in the studio uh, by our friend Zach Martin here in just a second. Zach is a young cat here in the Central Kentucky uh, local music scene. Um, just stay super busy. He's playing in probably, uh, gosh, I want to say seven or eight different musical situations at all times, does a lot of filling gigs. In 2019, he did over 150 shows. So he's really busy, really, really busy. Uh, I've seen him play. He's a great young drummer. Uh, he uh, just just has such a cool story and I wanted to get him in here in the studio to share some of that with you. So I hope you'll enjoy it, but please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Zach Martin. Hey Zach, how's it going, brother? It's going well. Good, man. man. I'm good. I can't complain. Hey, thanks for making the trek up to the drum shuffle world headquarters to join us tonight. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Yeah, man. So, uh, uh, let's, Let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of in the, uh, what, what shall we say, the nexus of getting to know one another. But, 
you know, I, I've been following your playing here in the local area. You're you're playing with a whole lot of folks, but as is our tradition here, let's kind of start at the at the very beginning. You are not a Kentucky native. You uh, hail from Portland, Oregon, correct? Yeah, I was born in Portland, Oregon. Okay, yep. cool. And there was a time that you moved here as a youngster and then you went mm -hmm. back to Portland. Mm -hmm. So help me fill in the blanks. When did you get into drumming and, and how did that start? Um, well, so my family moved to Kentucky when I was six. And um, so I was raised here, grew up in Lexington, didn't leave Lexington too much. I didn't, I learned later that I had no idea what Kentucky was about. <laughs> Does um, anybody? <laughs> yeah. I, in Lexington, it's, you know, it's a little city. It's a little city that could. Yeah. Um, when I graduated high school, I moved back to Portland. Um, there was one teacher specifically that I wanted to go study under. Um, and I, I went to college out there and, at some point, you know, it was, I switched to another college and I was trying to make things work and ran out of money and came back home. And, uh, so that was probably, I think it was 2016. So four years ago now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So did you, did you start drumming here before you went back to Portland? So mm -hmm. was it, uh, school band was it a uh, too much MTV? I, what what got you into into music? Uh, initially, I guess I was eight years old at my friend's house, and he had a drum kit, or his older brother had a drum kit, and I sat down on it, having no clue what I was doing. You know, you don't know to push down the pedals, and you're just hitting things, and um, just from then on. I never ever, I never wanted to do anything else. Okay. So the bug bit you yeah. instantly, basically. Yeah. And my dad, he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic musician and he showed me a lot of the music I listened to growing up, um, that really made me want to play. Um, he's a big jazz guy and you know, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> Yeah, jazz okay, always something funny. Yeah, jazz always gets me choked up. Um, well, so you say your dad is is a jazz guy. Yeah. Um, is he a drummer as well? No, he plays sax. Okay. Yeah, right. he's phenomenal. Also, um, and he was showing me records when I was young. You know, by Miles Davis. He was showing me Kind of Blue, or he was showing me, you know. Uh, take five or, you know, different Coltrane and, you know, and it, it always stuck with me. Um, and I, I guess it happened so early that I, you know, just, that's all I ever wanted to do. It was yeah. jazz was what I knew. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, I, so if you were that young and, and you started drumming, were you immediately, you know, like putting together garage bands with other kids or was it school band or just, no. just kind of shedding in your bedroom kind of thing? I was never in a band really until I moved back to Kentucky, um, you know, at 23 years old or something. 
um, you know, I'd, I'd play at church or something and, and I was never in school. I, I, I played trumpet till maybe the seventh grade. Um, okay. and then eventually senior year, I'd, I, I wanted to get in on the jazz band thing cause I knew I wanted to go to college for it and you had to have some kind of understanding <laughs> of how it works. Uh, know something about music before right. enrolling in music school. Yeah. Novel idea. It, well, you know, it goes, I wanted to study under that teacher and he was at a college. And so I had to, I had to, you know, change my route a little bit. Um, but I, I guess my, I put a band together once for a nursing home gig. <laughs> we were, uh, okay. was it? Zach we and the go. Prairie Dogs. Zach and the Prairie yeah. Dogs. Okay. Uh, it was classic country. Classic country. It's a great time. Well, it'd be hard to be like a sludge metal band with the Prairie Dog thing. Right. I mean, <laughs> Prairie Dogs just don't seem too metal to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I did that and, you know, but I, I, most of my friends here didn't even know I played drums and, you know, my dad and I would travel um, to a, a conference thing in Indiana every year and I'd get to play for that. And that had a huge influence on me in terms of who I met and just the experience. Um, and then when I was in Portland, it was just playing for people. I mean, I, I was in school too, um, taking lessons and yeah. Well, I mean, when you're in school, you know, in, in kind of that, you know, college atmosphere, people are like, oh, well, hey, here's this dude, you know, named Zach that plays drums. We've got a gig at, you know, whatever club Saturday. Mm. Hey, man, can you come play drums with us? I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of what that was like. Yeah, similar. And I also um, I went to a, a church that had a lot of really, really great songwriters and um it was a creative community that um, let me be a part of it for however long I was there. And I just, I, I got to know people through them. Um, and they were just really influential. Um, that was much more than I, than I, um, in, in terms of gigs than, than I got from school. Yeah. Um, but I've always taken lessons, always, always tried to, you know, have somebody else pointing things out. <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah. Maybe that's why I don't take lessons. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know because there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff to point out in my playing, but, right. um, so after kind of being in that Portland scene, you know, and you, you were talking about a very creative scene, uh, and taking part in it, you know, you came back home and, and you said to me the other day, you were like, you know, nobody really knew that I played drums and, you know, somebody found out and then, all of a sudden I was busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my friend Gideon, he, um, I got to know him through skateboarding. Um, cause when I moved back, uh, um, I, I took a break from drumming for a year to a year and a half. Um, and got to know Gideon through a skateboarding outlet and, um, it was during that time of getting to know him that I, I realized I was not going to be able to make it back to Portland to live there on schedule like I'd planned. So I had to drive out and go get the rest of my stuff to move back here. And um, I was just sleeping in my car one night and Gideon texted me and asked me if I wanted to be in a band. You played drums at some point, right? <laughs> well, I need somebody to fill in. 
And I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> and yeah, I played with him for a little while and then just started playing with other friends' bands and filling in and um, started playing more. Yeah. So, so, so that was really the, the genesis of, of yeah. you getting a, a kind of a drumming career going here. Yeah. Okay. Well, and you know, when we were talking the other day, you know, I, I was trying to get a little more familiar. Um, you're doing a whole lot of gigs in a whole lot of different situations and scenarios. And, and you said to me, you said, I do a lot of fill in work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think our listeners may be kind of curious about that. If you're not a member of a band, how do you get your name out there to be available for fill-in gigs? Mm. I I think the the best answer would be, you know, show up to go to shows and be nice, make friends. You know, don't you know. I, just try to be a supportive dude and let people find out that you play, that you play on their own accord, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, a lot of people will ask me how to break into it and I'm like, hey, just, I'm going to a show Thursday night. Just come with me. Let's yeah. hang out, you know? Well, you know, I, here's what I find interesting about guys that do a lot of fill in work is if you go do one fill-in gig and you do it well and you don't overplay, right. <laughs> that almost always leads to another fill-in gig. W would you agree with that statement? It, it has so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It has so far. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you take nothing else from this interview <laughs> with Zach and I... um. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I've done some fill-in work. I, I've primarily in, in, you know, I've lived here for pretty much my whole life. You know, I, I had a, a couple of years that I was in Memphis doing some work down there. Um, but I've pretty much been in central Kentucky, you know, my, my whole life. And what I have, uh, you know, experienced, I've pretty much always been in a band for the most part, you know. Um, fill-in stuff. I've done plenty of it. Don't get me wrong. But as I mentioned to you, I can count literally on one hand over the last, you know, five or six years that I got called to do a fill in gig. And, you know, I, I think what I've found is the, the fill in players, the guys that get called all the time are young cats like you. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, that's, that's n not me saying anything negative at all. Yeah, yeah. It's just the, you know, the old farts with gray hair don't get those phone calls as much anymore. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is kind of being the last man standing on, you know, getting a, uh, a, a, a quote real job, you know, and, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I uh, I tend to be pretty careful about, you know, signing up for too many responsibilities. Um, you know, and I think my availability is my, really my number one asset. <laughs> well. I think I told you, <laughs> I feel like the, um, it's a friend's reference where I think Chandler and Joey are talking. One of them says, you ever notice those, there's, 
really, really ugly dudes date the really hot girls. And you're just confused. You could be that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I metaphorically speaking, I'm in the, in, uh, I'm the ugly guy. That's just got really lucky. <laughs> yeah. I'm the last, last available, last bachelor drummer. <laughs> well, I, and I think there's some truth to that, but you know, here's the other thing. And I, I think, you know, with our show being heard in, I don't know, 80 something countries and, you know, all the, the States, I, I get an email every now and then from a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always somebody different. And they're like, why are you in Georgetown, Kentucky? Mm. Right. Prime and, real estate. Man. Well, it, it it is great real estate, but I think the question is, why aren't you in Nashville? Why aren't you mm. in New York? Why aren't you in L.A.? Why aren't you in Portland, Seattle, Austin, whatever city it is? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think people think of Kentucky and they automatically go, OK, it's going to be all bluegrass and country music. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think a lot of people don't realize what a phenomenal music scene we actually have right here in central Kentucky. And that hasn't always been the case, you know, and we've gone through spurts like the late nineties was, you know, there were tons of great rock bands coming out of Lexington and the surrounding areas. Um, You know, now everybody knows the name Chris Stapleton. Everybody knows the name Sturgill Simpson, you know, Tyler Childers. Everybody's starting to recognize that. Um, talk to me a little bit about the scene here and how attractive it is for a young guy that is still trying to do the music thing as a living. Uh, yeah, I, well, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm still catching up on all of the music that's happened in this area. Uh, there's so many intertangled stories um, intertangled. Yeah, yeah. I, or intertwined. Intertwined. Intertangled. <laughs> yeah. There's so many like who's and who's band and who played with who when and um. So that I can't really I can't speak to a whole lot of that. Um. I've worked at the Burl, a venue in Lexington, for about two years now. Um, just miscellaneous things. Um, just sticking around as much music as possible. Um, so that's helped me really keep up with a lot of the music in this area. There's a lot of great players. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not too competitive, you know, in terms of yeah. people aren't out there stealing other dudes jobs and, you know, um, you don't know me very well. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I'm, I'm joking. This is all part of a plot. You know, I'm going to have all your filling gigs by the end of the week. No, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, you will. You will. <laughs> um, well, so I'm kind of the same way being somebody that's, you know, I'm in my forties. I've got a teenage daughter. Um, you know, I was out of the scene for a long time, not out of the scene in terms of he's not playing anymore. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do this, but I always had a gig on Friday or Saturday night. And if I didn't have a gig, I sure as hell didn't want to go out to the bars and and check out other bands. And that's part of that networking thing is you have to, to go out and and see other artists Mm. play. And I kind of fell out of that. And, and this isn't, you know, certainly a show about me bemoaning, you know, my missed opportunities. That's not what, what I'm, 
getting at, I don't think. But the scene here now, like, let's talk about some of the gigs that you do pretty often, okay? Mm -hmm. Grayson Jenkins, Mm -hmm. right? You play with Grayson quite a bit. Um, Phenomenal Americana kind of singer, songwriter, and a super human being on top of that. Yes, um, love Grayson. He's just a great guy. Um, you do a lot of work with, you know, David, uh, laid back country mm-hmm. picker. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just going to say this right now to everybody listening. That's not from central Kentucky. Google is your friend here. Mm-hmm. I want you to look up McGoffin County Cadillac. You, you have to see the video for McGoffin County Cadillac. It and is, his primary drummer, Hayden Miles, is my hero. Hayden's <laughs> truly badass, no doubt. Um, but you, you've you've got to see what we're pumping out here in central Kentucky to get an idea of what it's about. It's mm-hmm. it's country, it's rock, it's it's Americana, mm-hmm. but it has a certain attitude when it's from Kentucky that Americana doesn't have when it's from Texas. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know what that is. Maybe it's some kind of punk uh, aesthetic with it. I don't know. I'll tell you this. In my experience from playing with Laidback, I feel like I've, I've learned as much about being a musician from him as I ever did in, you know, college and all this stuff. Um, like one of the, one of the more important lessons I think any musician could learn, um, you know, you know, and if you're listening and you watch the videos of him, you'll see this and you'll get this feeling that he, he, there's no room for an ego on this stage. Um, the primary purpose of playing this music is to make people smile. You know, you can get up there and, and be cool and, you know, try and, I don't know. Well, and he's a fabulous storyteller too. True. Yeah. You, you know. Oh, so the, yeah. This the whole performance stands up musically and just you know as a show. His sense of humor, the whole you know, there's alter egos, and each band member has a different you know alter ego. Uh, but his his guitar playing is out of this world. Oh, it's phenomenal. Great tone and um. When you're on that stage with him, there's nothing but, you know, joy and this feeling of creating music right there. Um, that's been a great learning experience. I think I've only started in in the last year, in 2019, playing with him. Yeah. yeah well, and you know, I mean, I think if if I could say to somebody, you know, come to Kentucky. And, uh, you know, go to, you know, the Burl, you mentioned the Burl, Mm -hmm. great venue, Mm -hmm. um, country boy brewing here in Georgetown, their, their tap room that they have, they have some fantastic music. Our, our buddy, Jen Tackett does the booking there. Um, you know, I've known, I went to high school with Jen. She's a sweetheart. Oh, she's awesome. Um, you know, uh, Slancha Public House here in downtown Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do kind of the singer-songwriter acoustic gigs. But if somebody were to come visit 
you know, Lexington for a few days and went out and caught some of these shows, I think they would be surprised at what the scene is like. And, um, you know, you being out in Portland for a while, is there a similarity or is it completely different? I mean, I, I would be curious, you know, because everybody knows about the art scene in Portland. You know, they, sure. they don't know about it in central Kentucky. Uh, I would, yeah, it's on a different scale, but very similar in that um, generally people are just nice. Yeah. You know, um, you meet another band at a show and you just immediately become friends. And, you know, that's the whole personality of Portland. And that's very, very similar here. And there's a huge variety too, you know, not just... I think people tend to think of what's going on in Kentucky right now as just country Americana, but there's so many fantastic, you know, indie rock bands or there's, there are jazz artists in Lexington, even that, that I have no idea why they live there. You know, (laughs) you could make a phenomenal career anywhere else too, you know, but we've got a huge amount of artists and, and music coming around. Um, you can draw it from any kind of inspiration. Um, yeah, I it's mean, not just one sound. Yeah, I, I think cool. that's I, I think that's very true. And you know, I I didn't want to just you know kind of you know name drop all these bands that we know, but there's a lot of good music that's coming out of here, mm-hmm. and there are some phenomenal recording studios here as well. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I know you have an affiliation with Dwayne Lundy with, uh, yeah. is it Lexington recording company now? Or? Yeah. Yeah. He just changed the name from Shangri-La. And I mean, he had, you know, people like Jim James from my morning jacket in there to record. I mean, he, he's had some big names. The last Ringo star record. It really? Yeah. Okay. Well, That's... he was, he did, he had something to do with it. I'm not. Okay. I haven't really bugged him about what that was. Well, I've known Dwayne for a long, long time. Um, next time you see him, ask him about uh, his band Mothership. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was a oh, great well. band. <laughs> so, Dwayne's a great guy. He he is, and and a great engineer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've got Phil Weisenberger with Red House Recording. Now, I'm not just giving Phil a plug because I played in Funnel with him for you know going on you know 30 years now. But he's got a fantastic studio right here in, you know, Georgetown, Kentucky and, and records, you know, just world class stuff coming out of that studio. Um, you know, there, there are others. Uh, Nitrosonic is a great mm-hmm. studio in, in Lexington. You know, I think they just moved into a new place. Jason Groves at Sneak Attack. Mm-hmm. Great recording studio. So it's I think a lot of people and a lot of the guests that I have on the show when they hear, you know, I'm in central Kentucky. They're like, well, how far is that from Nashville? And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I, you know, I, I've mm-hmm. got pretty much all of that right here without having to compete with 7 million other dudes mm-hmm. that are way better than me. <laughs> right, right. It, and the rent is so affordable. Yeah. Um, you know, I make the joke all the time, man. Every Applebee's cook in Nashville can outplay me. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's some truth to that because everybody down there is an awesome player. Um, so what are some goals that you have, Zach? I mean, you're a young guy and you're 
doing a lot of great work out there. I mean, have you been doing some recording as well? Or, you know, what, what are some things that you've got going on in 2020? Well, I suppose just play more. I don't know. <laughs> Practice more. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that, you know, as the new year just happened a few weeks ago, um, in the time of recording this, at least. Um, you know, now that I'm 25 years old, still real young. But, Grandpa. You know, I'm figuring out, you know, what, where do I want to be and where do I want to play and what, what do I want to sound like and, um, and just kind of letting that, that, that question um, simmer a bit. Um, I, I, you know, I moved into a new house seven months ago or so. Um, and one of the rooms is a dedicated, you know, drum room. It looks um, really cool. I, I haven't seen it in person, but I've seen it on. Oh, you got to come by. Yeah, social media, and it, it looks really cool. Yeah, and that that's a that's a place where I can finally have a you know I can get drum files and you know play and send it back and just tune all day. I think if I had vacation days, I would just sit at home and tune drums. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so that's that's been really fun to experiment with. But I mean, I'm no engineer and I've really no ambition to be an engineer, but it's fun to play with and um, see what kind of sounds you can get. And yeah. Stuff like that. I love the drums. Well, <laughs> you know? yeah, oh, yeah. I just want to spend all day with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as do I. And, you know, I've said if I could just make a living doing nothing but, you know, drumming working on drums, doing mm -hmm. this podcast, God, I'd be a happy guy, Man. you know, but you said something to me that I found really interesting and, and I'm just going to throw this out there, but you said you almost like working on drums as much as you do playing them. You oh, said yeah. that to me the other day. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about like throwing your hat in the ring as a drum tech, trying to get on a tour and, and, and like doing that? I think I would really enjoy that. Um, any tech work I do is kind of stationary or, or it's for specific events or I, you know, work on people's kits from my house. Um, yeah. I've, I've always kind of fantasized about that for sure. Okay. Well, but I mean, you know, we've had some, some great guys on here, you know, John Aldridge oh immediately comes yeah. to mind. You know, we, we had John on Jeff here and, and he is, you know, he, he's drum tech, extraordinaire you know right. he's typically out on the road with REO Speedwagon but you know and then when he's home in Austin he's doing all the all the engraving for Ludwig A&F you know <laughs> joyful noise I mean he's just a master craftsman but yeah. you know it, I went and visited <clears throat> he and Brian when they you know they were playing here close and John was gracious enough to kind of you know show me around show me how his days went mm -hmm. and it looked like a hell of a lot of fun except you're in a different town every day, 200 days a year, mm -hmm. you know, that, I don't know. I think that would get old for me. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, that's kind of what's held me back at all from, from looking into it further is, um, I'm, I don't, I don't do well with, I, I lose my patience when I'm doing the same thing every day. Yeah. And, you know, even with the bands I'm in, um, you know, 
they'll be the first to tell you that I, I'll change things up to some wacky idea that doesn't work, you know, <laughs> the day of the show, uh, just cause I get an itch and I want to try something wild, you know, um, uh, cause I like, I like just playing around with it so much. Um, which is why that studio environment is one that I really enjoy because it's a, it's a space where you can experiment, change things up. Yeah, for sure. Well, so let's talk a little bit about gear. Now, um, you've got something, I, I saw it in, in one of your Instagram posts. You've got something that, that I've been looking for here, here recently. You've got a big old green mm, sparkle base green. Yeah. Now, is that a 26 or a 28? Buddy, that's a 30. Is that a 30? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. So, is is it an old converted marcher? Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, it's a 60s. Okay. 60s Ludwig marching bass okay. drum. Well, I saw that and I was like, man, I really want that. Um, you know, I play a 24 typically. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a 22, a 20, but I typically play a 24, my, my touring rig, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Um. I've had a few asks about, hey, do you have a 26? And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, on some sessions. Right, you know, I'd really right. like for you to use a 26. And, I, you know, just looking like through some of the forums and eBay and stuff, if somebody has a 26-inch kick drum, they want like 90-inch money for it, if, yeah, if you know yeah. what I'm saying. Like <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A, a vintage Ludwig 26-inch kick drum, people are asking like 800, 900,000 bucks for them. You know, it's either that or they're so cheap. I've I've found a lot of those, you know, odd bass drums. You know, like Revival Drum Shop in Portland is a great resource if you're looking into Yeah. Um and vintage gear have a nice because, shop. It's oh beautiful. yeah. And they're yeah. great dudes and they'll they'll point you in the right direction. I call them all the time with, you know, stupid questions like Hey, I've got bubble gum stuck on my kick drum. What, how do you get this cut? You know, whatever. Um, Yeah. I mean that, that drum I took in to them, uh, but I got it for a hundred dollars. What? Cause I was, I was playing at a church regularly and it it was, I noticed it was in their storage closet and it had, they told me it had been sitting there collecting dust for seven years. And I was like, cool, cool. So what do I need to do to acquire this? And they, you know, looked around to see who actually owned it. And the guy had moved, um, you know, and as things go, he was just about to come get it, but he'll sell it to me for a hundred bucks. Well, yeah. That, save him the trip. Yeah. That <laughs> man, that was money well spent. That's yeah. And that's killer. That, that is my favorite drum. Yeah. It, well, it, and I'm sure it just sounds thunderous and, and oh, awesome. Yeah. So it's fun. So are you a vintage guy? Do you like the vintage stuff better than, than modern? I sure. I, I tend to like vintage stuff more. Um, back when I was your age, it wasn't called vintage. It was just called used. <laughs> used. <laughs> vintage, right, yeah. vintage didn't happen until like the two thousands, I think, but <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a lot of my drums, I don't, you know, I have a primary kit that I, you know, it's the only kit that I own really that's a a whole thing. I bought it, you know, after high school graduation, invested in a good kit. It's a Gretsch Renown um, 
but it's really rare that I play all the same drums. Um, and I don't think I've spent more than a hundred dollars on a piece of gear since that kit. Um, well, you're winning. Yeah. You, you, well, I mean, you never you really had are. more than a hundred dollars in my pocket. Well, touche. I mean, you are a drummer after all. So, um, you know, there's a joke, um, a really good friend of mine, and I'm going to give him a shout out. Josh Touchton of Ludwig Drums is is one of my best friends in the world. I just love the guy. We we talk awesome. all the time. Um, Josh uh, has promised me that if I ever die unexpectedly, he will immediately come here and tell my wife what all of my stuff is worth because undoubtedly <laughs> it's worth more than I told her I paid for it. Right. Cause I, I could see her. She's like, well, Jamie's dead. He said he paid $20 for this. I'll just, you know, I'll sell it for $20 and it's, you know, like a $2,000 snare drum or something, right, you yeah. know, so that's kind of the joke that, that Josh and I have together, but Gosh. he's, he's promised me he, he won't let her give something good away for, for too little money. Mm. But, um, it, it's interesting to me and I'll ask, I'll ask you, um, but you said, yeah, you tend to prefer the vintage stuff and you're always kind of looking mm-hmm. presumably, what is it about older instruments that you're drawn to as such a young guy is it the sound is it the look is it no it's cheaper yeah okay that's that's all you know i i if i have a sound in my head that i really want um you know generally i i can get an idea of okay i that'll come out of probably like a 13 inch tom you know with this depth and whatever and so i'll just find one of those and go get it, you know? Yeah. So, so Craigslist and yeah, know, stuff I like got, that. you know, my last purchase I think was like a, it was a 13 inch Tom actually it was an old star, you know, um, thing. It was 25 bucks and I brought it home. The heads, I don't think they'd ever been changed. They must, I mean, Oh yeah, I'm sure not. Golly. They, and I have not changed them. They, it was exactly what I wanted, you know? And, uh, I think, well, it's funny too. You notice like half the studios you go to, they've all got a Pearl Export series. Oh yeah. That was you know, my first They're kit. phenomenal kits and you could find them for $200. And so I've got probably two at home of different like, you know, variety. And I probably record on those more than any other drums. Yeah. Oh yeah. My first kit was um, a black Pearl export kit um, that I bought. Uh, my mom got it for me, I think, in '88 nice. or '89, something like that. And I don't have that exact kit. I mm-hmm. let it go, and sure. you know, I should not have. But I let that first kit go. But me and the funnel guys decided to go in together on a kit so that we had something in our practice space. And this is. God, 15 years ago, 18 years mm-hmm. ago, we found a black used Pearl export kit. God bless. And Phil still uses it in the studio all the time. If a drummer comes in and he doesn't have a kit, that's kind of the studio kit. Mm-hmm. You know, the shells are made out of Luon, you know, Philippine mahogany is, <laughs> right. what, is what Pearl called it. But it's, yeah. it's Luon. It's the stuff that you put on your bathroom floor to, to glue vinyl, <laughs> yeah. you know, down to. Um, just cheaply made, 
Yeah. You know, probably Taiwan, I'm guessing, is is where they were made at that time. I don't even know. But they sound phenomenal. 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 Yeah. Huge toms, nice deep kick. Actually, the, the floor tom I use the most is an old Pearl Export series that I had torn the wrap off of years ago. And I had intended to do something fancy with it and never got around to it. And at some point, I just needed this 16-inch tom. I, I needed something bigger. And so I just threw the hardware back on it. <laughs> and um just Battle for scarred. this one gig you know yeah. i was like i just need it for this gig and the hardware hasn't come back off i don't know it's just it's perfect yeah it's perfect sometimes that happens and, and you know i i think a lot of people say i wish i could you know get into drumming but there's this you know self-imposed hurdle that they see in their head of what's well, expensive and mm-hmm. You know, you can find stuff on Craigslist or eBay or whatever that that isn't all that expensive. But a lot of times what people are selling on Craigslist and eBay is I bought this for my kid. Mm -hmm. My kid decided he didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And it's really beginner level stuff. Yeah. I tell people all the time, you got to wade through the stuff that's 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 junk, Mm -hmm. you know. But there's a lot of really good stuff out there that you can get. And you have to be patient. That's the other oh, yeah. thing is, you know, if... if Don't jump on the first couple things you like. Right. You'll find something you love. Yeah. And and be feel free to use a red bass drum and a blue mm-hmm. rack tom and a green floor People tom. People will probably think you're cooler for it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, like, man. Oh, he knows what he wants. But if you buy it piece at a time, you know, I mean, some of these cymbal sets that I see Mm -hmm. all the manufacturers sell, uh, these starter packs for, you know, $199. Mm -hmm. That stuff is straight up hot garbage 99% of the time. They don't sound good. But no matter what brand you want, Sabian, Peisty, uh, Zildjian, you know, I'm a dream guy, Mm -hmm. the dream cymbals, you can find that stuff used piece at a time dirt cheap oh yeah you know like the market is just full of a zildjans everywhere right now the last two symbols i have acquired <laughs> one came from Dwayne lundy the, well both of them uh they're crash symbols one's a 16 the other's a 17 uh they both have this giant chunk out of them like a giant took a bite out of them just broken and they were laying around one came from Dwayne Lundy's studio when we were helping him move and the other came from a guy named uh, another musician in town Eric Bolander um I was filling in at Moonshiner's Ball this year we were rehearsing and I saw this broken like a Sabian AAX explosion um I picked it up and I was like hey man can I have this and it's like yeah man take it whatever and I, I ended up using the Sabian as, you know, in a hi-hat com- combo with like a, a medium thin crash yeah. or something. And it's perfect. Yeah. And the, the symbol from Dwayne is maybe my only crash symbol. <laughs> other than that, you know, and I've used it. Yeah. Tons. Since June, yeah. I think people get too caught up in the gear. And I'm curious about Mm -hmm. your thought on this because, um, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, if I just get that next really good snare drum. And and look, I I, I love to collect stuff too. But 
I'm at the point in my life where I've owned all the different brands and, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a relationship with Bowie custom for 10 years, eight years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I proudly endorse Bowie custom drum and I've got a kit and I've got several snare drums. Um, but I'm going to sound like Jamie, whether I'm playing on a $200 Pearl yeah. export kit yeah. or a $3,000 Bowie custom kit. I'm going to sound like me. Now, it, what I'm saying is it's very incremental from the $200 kit to the $3,000 mm-hmm. kit. Does the $3,000 kit sound better? Unquestionably. To to most, most people sure. would say, yeah, that sounds better. But it's not, you know, $2,800 better probably. No. It, it, no. It, you know what I'm saying? Do you think that's yeah. a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. I like to keep my overhead low. <laughs> well, I'm at the point in my life where I want stuff that nobody else has, mm-hmm. you know? So like if I'm going to collect a drum and I play everything I own, there mm-hmm. is nothing that just lives in a case that never gets played. But, you know, I want like, you know, some weird color that they only made, you know, 50 of these or, mm-hmm. or does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah. You know, I, I want collectible stuff, but uh, you know, I, I talk about it all the time. There's a video of Benny Greb playing a SpongeBob drum set. Oh, and I'm telling you, Google is your friend here, Zach. But do you know what he sounds like? Benny Greb on a $49 SpongeBob drum set Crazy. sounds sounds just like Benny Greb. So, um, you know, I I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you do you think that's accurate? You're going to sound like you no matter what. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the only piece of gear I think every drummer should have is an Acrylite. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. other than that, I'm, you know, yeah, you're just going to sound like you and you're going to, and you, um, have you seen those uh, Aaron Sterling master classes he put out? I, I don't think uh, I have. God, I mean, phenomenal. I know that they exist, but I haven't seen them. Yeah, I highly recommend investing in those. And it's not so much that you really learn all that much new information as much as you, you, you get his approach to drumming and drums. Um, and he says something cool in there, like you can get whatever sound you're looking for, you know, on 80% of drums and, uh, you know, don't quote me on that, but, uh, I, I really, that's kind of how I feel about it all. Um, I, I invest all of my time in, into tuning and learning how to tune and, it's a very important skill that, oh, yeah. that a lot of people don't have. Oh yeah. You the know. working drummer's job security. I, you know, that's the first <laughs> thing you learn when you, when you're handed a guitar, how to you tune know, it. what's, what are these strings? Okay. How do you make, put them in tune. But for drummers, it seems like it's, you know, year five, somebody mentions it and it <laughs> sticks. Oh, so we should funny. tune yeah. the drums. Yeah. They make noise. Of course you're going to tune them. Well, you know, I, I, this is going back a lot of years. You sure. were probably in diapers when, probably. when this occurred. Okay. So I'm still this, in diapers. <laughs> this was late nineties. I was on a gig with a shared drum set, right? Mm-hmm. And it was not my drum set, Sure. which, you know, n- nobody likes playing somebody else's gear, but sometimes you just have to. I love it. it, it well, yeah. yeah. So, but, but 
I do too now if I don't have to move anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I don't have to schlep gear, I'm I'm down mm-hmm. with using somebody else's stuff. But back then, you know, it was I wanted to play my stuff. Right. 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 Um, but I, I just said, hey man, I need to tune the snare drum. And he was like, Do not touch the snare tension. Don't touch the snare. Don't touch the snare tension. I was like, why not? He was like, it'll never sound that way ever again. And I was like, first of all, it was as tight as it would go. That drum was so choked out. And I'm not going to mention who this is because he may still be around the area. I don't know. But this drum was so choked out. I I mean, I don't don't even know what he was going for. I really Mm. don't. But that was the attitude of so many drummers back then was don't take off my duct tape. Right. You know, that that drum is deadened to an appropriate level right now. And if it starts ringing, I will lose my mind, <laughs> you know? So what is that? I, I don't know. But why is that? Well, I guess I could understand the tension thing, you know, in that, I guess I'm not always the most adaptable drummer to other people's kits. You know, if the tension on the kick drum, for example, is way high and it's coming back and slapping my foot, you know, the beater is and, you know, that'll throw me off. But I guess people know, you know, drummers tend to know their space, you know, their sound. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's simpler than that. I think it's simpler than all that. I think that they just, they like what it sounds like, you know. Don't mess with and it. And don't touch my stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> get I, out of my backyard. Yeah, right. Get off my lawn. I, but I think I, you know, I can take apart any of my drums and mm-hmm. get it right back to where it was in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. You know, you, yeah. you just have to know how to get it back to where it was. Right. Yeah. Sounds good now. Well, I want to try something different. So you try it. Oh, well, that sounds like crap. You can get it right back to where it was. There are a lot of guys that are like, if you touch right <laughs> that yeah. it'll never be right again. I feel like and, my snares go out of tune during sets. Even. Oh sure. And, of course. You, know, you just gotta know if you hit any rim shots at know all. Know the snare. Just know the snare. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta you, I think you do have to know your gear. So yeah. um well Zach, I wanna be respectful of your time. Um one of our traditions here at the drum shuffle as we get ready to wrap up, this is your opportunity to share a good piece of advice with everybody that listens to the show. Now you're, you're a young cat and you know, like I had Peter Erskine and I was like, Peter in your 50 year career, you know, what have you learned that, that, so I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you, but um, you know, you're doing a lot of great work here locally and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot from you over the years. Um, Offer us up a piece of advice for other drummers. What would you What would you say? Can I Can I do two? Absolutely. So the first one goes back to what we were talking about earlier, and my friend Ryan Allen. He's the first one who worded this this way to me. But just show up, be nice. Show up, be nice. Go to support people. You know, get to know people. Be nice. Um, well, shoot, I forgot the other one. <laughs> oh, yeah, just listen to more music. 
Yeah, well, that's a good, that's know, real. How good many one. albums can set a goal? How many albums a day? You know, do you want to listen to? Sometimes, if your work is, you know, you work on your own a lot, you can listen to, you know, ten albums in a in a shift. You know, listen to more music. Yeah, man, that's that that's really good advice because it, it, you're never gonna say, "God, I listened to too much music today." I, I've never said that. You know, yeah, and sometimes you know, there's so much out there. You know, I, and I say this on the show all the time. The good news is anybody can make an album today. Yeah. The, the bad news is anybody can make an album. And they today. do. And they do. Yeah. But it's we're just oversaturated. Everybody has a record. Everybody has a single. Everybody has a song. Right. And I get lost in that. And I I always think at the end of the year. Um, you know, they were doing a retrospective someplace on one of the, the sites, you know, the best records of mm-hmm. 2019, just a few weeks ago. I love those lists. I do too. Yeah. And I was like, man, out of the hundred records that they've yeah. named here, I've heard three or, or whatever. Man, I mean, yeah. There's some ridiculously low I have, percentage. In my passenger seat right now, I have some Knoxville local publication where they had put that out. And I'm just keeping this list of records in my passenger seat so I can remember what they are when I'm looking for a new record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's all important stuff. So, uh, all right, well, I'm going to put you on the spot one last time. Come back and see us again. We'll we'll do a, a part two. Keep, oh, yeah. Keep us all posted oh, yeah. on what's going on with your life. Uh, we'll we'll follow your career as it continues yeah, I'll be to like progress. the child star. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> You know, whatever happened to Todd Bridges? Where is he now? Um, that'll be Zach. Uh, seriously, thanks for taking the time to yeah, do it. No, it's an honor. Um, do you have social media links or anything that you want to give out? You're welcome to. Yeah. Um, it's just my Instagram would be the easiest. Okay. Um, it's ZNMartin25. This is Zachary Nelson Martin, 25. Okay. And... My name on there is not, it's spelled like Daiquiri, but spell Zachary the normal way. <laughs> spell Zachary the normal and way. And Facebook. I accept most friend requests. Okay, good deal. Well, everybody give Zach a follow on your social media accounts. Uh, this is a young man that we all need to be watching. He's going he's gonna to do some good stuff in the drumming world. And we had By him God. first <laughs> here at the Drum Shuffle. By golly. So, uh, Zach, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll catch no, you again you. here real soon. Okay, man? Oh, Siri's talking to Dude. us. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> One last time. Zach, thanks, brother. No, I'll thank talk you. to you soon. All right. See All right. you. See you, man. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 89 of the Drum Shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We simply can't do it without each and every one of you tuning in each and every week. Uh, We certainly appreciate it. As always, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen to the drum shuffle. The biggest thing I can ask from you, leave us a star rating over at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on the Apple ecosystem. It helps people find us. And that is the lifeblood of any podcast is having new folks listening week in and week out, just like you do. We appreciate it. 
Hey, as always, we answer every single email that we get at the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drum and you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. Next week, I am going to be joined once again by the fantastic, the wonderful Daphnis Prato. Uh, Daphnis was our guest way back, uh, oh, I don't know, about 18 months or so ago. He has a new book that's about to hit the streets uh, here in just a couple of weeks, and we are going to be giving away a copy of that book. So you're going to make sure uh, you listen next week to figure out how you can get a signed copy of Daphnis new book. You don't want to miss that. Uh, We're also working to get Nate Morton scheduled on the show, along with our pal Scott Hessel of the Gin Blossoms. We're trying to get some of these folks back on the show to catch everybody up on what's been going on. Uh, So make sure you hit the subscribe button. You're not going to want to miss any of that. Again, thank you guys so, so much for listening. We can't do it without you. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. 